From the Thinking Out Loud studios, it's the Thinking Out Loud podcast with Kevin and Kyle, the podcast that exists to help you navigate the culture of today from a biblical perspective and to help you grow in your relationship with God. God has commissioned and called you to be a light in this culture. The only way you can do that is to know the truth. No matter what circumstance you're facing, no matter what season of life that you're in, if you truly want to find success in that season, you're going to have to go back to the simple question of what does God say about me in this moment? There's no shortage of information in this culture, but there is a shortage of truth. Welcome back to the Thinking Out Loud podcast. My name is Kevin Wilson. And I'm Kyle Wenzel. And we're excited to have you guys back for another episode and just excited about the guests that we've been having and appreciating all the feedback that you guys are giving in regards to the guests that we have. And today, just excited about the guest that we have today. We'll talk to you a little bit about him. His name is Lucas Miles. Lucas is the host of Faith Wires, the Lucas Miles Show, and a co-host of the Church Boys podcast. Lucas and his work have been featured in books and TV, radio programs, and as well as been syndicated in articles, both political and religious news outlets, such as like The Blaze, Faith Wire, Fox News, CBN, Bible Gateway, and The Christian Post. He is also the author of the critically acclaimed book, Good God, the one we want to believe in but are afraid to embrace. It just makes you want to read that book, right? Um, And then, of course, the book that we're going to talk about today, specifically, The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. Lucas has also been involved in dozens of church planning across the U.S. and remote locations in Latin America, East Africa, Asia. And he's also involved in, in pastor at his church here in Indiana, Influence Church, with his wife, Chrissy. They planned that church in 2004. And on top of all of this, now I think I had a busy life. This guy, I don't even know how he gets all this stuff done, but he's also known for his work in Hollywood, producing films and offering pastoral support to many up and coming and established actors and artists. Some of the work that he's, some of the things he's worked on is Rodeo Girl, Crowning Jewels. Also, his work's been featured in on Netflix, Showtime, Fox, Redbox, Sony, Pure. Flicks. I mean, you know, he's also a sought after speaker of colleges, conferences, all the things. And Lucas found some time to be with us today on the show. <laughs> Lucas, thanks so much for coming on the Thinking Out Loud podcast. Hey, it is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was that was quite the uh the little intro. I feel like I got to deliver the goods tonight here. I'm going to be in trouble after that bio. <laughs> well, hey, it's your bio, man. And, and you know, when I looked at it, and one of the reasons, you know, I want to say to the listeners, one of the reasons why I really wanted to, I don't usually read that much of a person's bio, but the reason why is because when we talk about what we're going to talk about today, you have to understand that this is a person who is very cultured. So when he speaks, these are things that he's speaking from experience. He's talked to all kinds of people from all walks of life and is involved every single day, not just in this country, but also he's been a part of uh, church plants and things in other countries, you know, in the Hollywood circles. So he understands these things. And so today we want to talk about something that I believe that is extremely important. And I've always said there's two things that I feel like that is really 
detrimental to the church. One of them is the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. The other is this progressive Christianity. And today we want to talk about progressive Christianity. And I, and you know, in his book, The Christian Left, he talks a lot about this. And so, Lucas, let's first, if for people that don't understand what progressive Christianity is, could you explain what that is? Yeah, absolutely. So, and first off, guys, you know, real honor just to be here. And anytime I get to share on these topics, it, I, I just consider it a privilege to, to, I think, you know, hopefully instruct, inform, you know, share a little bit of my perspective in this. And, and the goal ultimately, you know, as you're really alluding to, is to bring people back to Christian orthodoxy because the, yes. the nation has drifted from that and the church in America has definitely drifted from that. So when we talk about something like progressive Christianity or what I call in this book, you know, more often than not, the Christian left, as the title says, what I'm really referring to is this growing constituency of believers and, and oftentimes believers by name only who have just become enamored with, with leftism, with progressive theology, with, you know, the whatever in vogue moral of the state is, is, uh, you know, happening at the time and many times Marxist theory and it is, it's leading them to distance themselves away from the Bible as a source of truth, any sort of view of infallibility or inerrancy of scripture. And of course, once you break that seal, you know, I remember I had this old car as a kid. My first car was a 1984 Chrysler Laser Turbo. Okay. And I would love to find one. So if any of the listeners have one in their garage that's just sitting there, they want to unload, let me know. Um, but, you know, it started having some engine trouble. And, you know, at the time I didn't have hardly any money. I was, you know, 17 year old kid or whatever and took it to the body shop. And basically they said, you know, hey, we can do some work on this. But the moment you crack the seal on an engine, it's never really the same after that. Right. And so, you have to kind of break that. Well, that's that's sort of what happens when I think a Christian dips his toes into progressivism. He sort of cracks the seal on his belief in the inerrancy of Scripture or the infallibility of Scripture, to use more the historical term. And what happens is it's just never the same after that. Their, their view of the Bible, it just starts deteriorating. The things that would normally be anchor points for them, they start drifting away from. And it's really easy to slide into immorality, to slide into you know views that are antithetical to the gospel. And I think we are seeing that just just as an epidemic right now in our country. And I think it really stems from that distancing from Scripture as the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, you know, I know that a lot of people may say, well, you know, the book is called the Christian Left. But what people have to understand is. And I've said this, I mean, our, our tagline for our show is to, you know, we want to help people navigate culture from a biblical perspective. Like that's the, that's the point. And, you know, when people, you know, they see that they think, well, you're, you're just, you're just against the left. Here's what I would always say. I don't care who it is, whether it's the left, the right, the tea party, the, the constitution, it doesn't matter who it is. Anyone who deviates from the word of God on any issue that's it's that's a problem right so it doesn't matter what it who it is right and so i agree with you 100% on the inerrancy of scripture how do you feel like this has crept in the church like how how did we get so far away from orthodoxy how, you know how do we get the warnocks and the 
the people who say things like, you know, hey, you know, God, you know, if you really care about women, you will let them have an abortion, even though God says it's murder. So how do we how do we get there? Yeah. So let me let me back up and address something you said first. And that is, you know, just to to maybe to disarm anyone who might approach this conversation with maybe heightened emotion. This is not a Republican or Democrat conversation. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a gospel conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I've really I've had a lot of people say, and I would agree with them that this really isn't a political book. It's certainly dealing with politics, but it's a secondary aspect to the book, and in sometimes you know a tertiary aspect. In that the the primal thing, the thing of the most importance, I guess I'll say it that way, is that we really discover what does it mean to be a Christian, mm-hmm. and what is the gospel, and who is Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I wrote this to hopefully speak to both sides. You know, I really feel that my ministry is about helping to protect the church from radicalism on the left and the right. My previous book that you mentioned, the bio, Good God, is really dealing with fundamentalism. I'm dealing with very, you know, religious minded, you know, people. If, if you read that book and you didn't know anything else about me, you might walk away from that and go, that guy's kind of progressive, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm dealing with errors on the, within the, the the fundamentalist church of ways that they view God that are are really unbiblical ideas. When And that was a tough book for a lot of people because a lot of the church struggled with being called out on those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, this book, the church is a lot more excited about because they feel like, oh, I'm talking about those other guys, you know? Right. Uh, but the reality is, is that there are a lot of Christians who voted right mm. in this last election or consistently vote right, I should say that, you know, politically who have embraced leftist and progressive ideas about God. Yes. And that's not really expected all the time, you know, by mm-hmm. people is that you can be right politically and left, you know, from a theological standpoint, it doesn't go the other way as often, although it could, you could have somebody that, that has a, a more of a, it would hard, be hard to be a leftist and be a disciple, but you, you know, it's possible for somebody to be a Democrat and be pro-life and have some more, more of a biblical worldview and have a little bit more right-leaning theology, that just doesn't get seen as often that people live in that space very long. And I talk about that a little bit in the book. But to kind of go to your specific question, like how did we get here? I think it's important that we understand that when I say the Christian left or progressive Christianity, I'm not talking about left and right politics. I am talking about something that historically has been called progressive Christianity. And that this identity of kind of progressive Christianity really arose several hundred years ago. I mean, this comes all the way back to, and I could arguably take it even further back than that, but you know, for sake of conversation today, the 1700s, we started seeing really the, uh, the closest to that we have to the modern version of progressive Christianity starting to arise. Now, certainly look different than it does now, but it was really the introduction of sort of this, you know, this impact that secular humanism made in the church and what was known as biblical criticism. And basically, for the first time and really since the birth of the New Testament, you had philosophers who were questioning the authority of Scripture publicly and openly. People might have done that in private in the past, but they would have been afraid of the consequences, yeah. you know, socially and politically and everything else. But you started having guys like Kant and Descartes and uh, Hegel and, and others that began questioning the authority of Scripture and really even the existence of God in some cases, or at least in terms of how we know him. And, and it, was, it was a real departure from Christian thought. And so that slowly evolved. There was a socialist party in America before there was one in the USSR. 
Mm-hmm. That's something that most people aren't aware of. That's been here, I think, as early as late 1800s, maybe early uh, 1900s, Socialist Party in America began. And there have been major attempts, you know, really for a long time to try to combine Christianity and certainly progressivism, but, but even more so Christianity and socialism, which is really what we're seeing today, you know, more than anything. And there was a couple of philosophers, even in the 1900s, Karl Barth was one that really stands out. And although Barth was against liberalism, he supported a, what I would call sort of a, a downgraded version of scripture. It's not that he didn't view the Bible as, as a high level of importance, but he never wanted to be more important than Jesus. So where, you know, evangelicals today would kind of say that Jesus is the word of God. And it's really the word contains that logos and rhema of Christ. He didn't like that. And so he kind of downgraded the Bible slightly in his explanations. And all of that kind of gave way to this academic thought in America that kind of held on to this more progressive historical view of the Bible and of Jesus. And there was actually a term, and I think it's important for people to understand, because progressive Christians are not talking about the same Jesus that we talk about. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And and I'll, I'll stop my monologue here and let you guys jump back in, but I want to make sure we set up the history here of this. Absolutely. Is that when a progressive uses the term, the historic Jesus, it is a very specific philosophical idea. And it's, it, it is based upon this deconstruction that happened during the Enlightenment and post-Enlightenment period. And what they were referring to is basically when someone, when a philosopher read the Bible and utilized essentially, you know, human reasoning, which was really the God of the Enlightenment. And that what it would happen is they would cut away all these aspects of scripture that seemed too good to be true. The virgin birth and the, you know, God in the flesh and, and the miracle at Canaan and the resurrection from the dead, forgiveness of sins, all of these things. And basically they would cut all that away and they would say that what you are left with is the portrait of the real historic Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so this term, the historic Jesus was developed and it's still being used by people like Ehrman and even some other, you know, philosophers today that we're seeing that really highlight this view of Christ that makes him more of the great social organizer or the champion of the state than the savior of the world. Mm-hmm. And so, and literally, when you look at things like liberation theology, which would be the far side of progressive Christianity, they'll go as far to say that the Jesus that we worship is not the same Jesus that the church has preached for the last 2000 years. So they are setting that up as a distinctly different creature that they are worshiping. And it's really sort of this Frankenstein view, you know, really uh, stripped, parted out from what they want to take from scripture. And so, you know, progressive Christianity is antithetical to the gospel. It does not worship the same Christ. And it has, as I say in this book, it has hijacked the church. And we have believers all across this country who have been deceived into adopting a lot of progressive views in their faith. And I think that we have to be aware of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree wholeheartedly. And I appreciate you setting that up because I think that helps our listeners to understand kind of, you know, how this started. And this, you know, just didn't happen, you know, 10 years ago. Um, This is something that's been kind of in the works for a while. And truly, that's how the devil works, right? You know, he's got all the time in the world, literally. Um, to sit and, and scheme and plot and try to do what he can to deceive the church. And I think, you know, unfortunately, some of us have fell to it, uh, hook, line, and sinker. And I think, you know, it's people like yourself 
and, and others who are trying to sound the alarm right now to say, guys, this is not biblical. You know, I remember when Kyle and I were, were thinking about starting this podcast and I remember saying to Kyle, which is to me, it's just crazy right now to even think that I was thinking this. I said to him, I said, you know what, Kyle, we're not going to talk about politics at all. Like, I do not want this to be a political show. And, you know, (laughs) the very first show that we did was August 5th of 2020. And it was and it was (laughs) and it was around race and like of all things. And I'm a guy, if you know me personally, like race is the last thing on my mind. Like, I just I, you know, just the way things are in the media versus the way I think is just completely opposite. And so I'm just. Like, I just, I don't look at things the same way. And I'm like, this is insane that the first episode is on race. And then we begin to realize as we're trying to help people navigate through the culture, almost everything that people are hung up in right now is all the things. And a lot of it's political. A lot of it's, you know, it's the thought, the new thought, the thinkers, the Christian influencers, the all the the Instagram people that's leading so many people outside of what the Bible says, right? And so, you know, it became this thing that was like we have to address these things and bring back people back to where they need to be. And so, I just I love that you're out there and and you're doing this. It's just awesome. And I think it's important that you highlighted the fact that it's two different Jesus that yeah. that we're talking about here when we're talking about progressive Christianity because and I kind of say it even in some of my sermons, you know, if listen, if there's certain things that you believe, you're you're worshiping a false god because mm-hmm. that is not that's not the same Jesus that we are worshiping and we're reading about. Can you kind of talk to me a little bit about because I have both friends and family members that are more bent towards the progressive side? Do you think there's just a lack of understanding that there's like they've kind of bought into, well, that sounds good, that feels good? Because what I'm experiencing with our teenagers right now is if it feels right and it sounds right and it's not hurting anybody else, then it is right. And that's kind of where our students are going. And so we're taking them through this series right now where we're in our small groups is supporting what we're doing, but it's like we're talking about what is truth. And so can you kind of just give us a little bit of detail on how someone who maybe grew up not in a progressive setting but then found themselves there. Was there just a lack of understanding of what progressive Christianity really was or were just a lack of warning signs or kind of walk us through that? Yeah, I mean, you know, let me, what you're asking is a very important question, but to some degree, it's like asking how did a river get formed? (laughs) And because there's an erosion that takes place over time that's good. That that creates this. And it's different for different people. It, it travels, yeah. you know, and, and kind of meanders a little bit differently. You know, I was I, I, I actually opened up my my phone. I guess it was today. Today's uh, we're recording this on the first. And I opened up my phone today and I got a notification and I have an, this is an iPhone 12 and I have the it's the iOS 14.6, I think is what it is. OK, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not very technical. I don't know what that means. That's just I looked it up today specifically because I, I don't think it's going to be on everybody's the same. And I got a notification for the start of Pride Month on my calendar. Mm-hmm. And so and I thought, well, that's like, why am I getting this right? And then I saw I have checked that I want to have U.S. holidays on my calendar. Mm-hmm. And I thought, OK. 
you know, and I looked it up and it was, I think, an executive order that made that a holiday by Bill Clinton. And then Obama kind of doubled down on it and changed the name of it. It was not an act of Congress like a lot of holidays are. So it was just an executive order. But I thought, okay, fair. And then I thought, I wonder if the National Day of Prayer is in iOS 14.6, and which is, I believe, May 6th. And of course, National Day of Prayer was not there. And so, and that was a national holiday that was solidified and voted upon by Congress. Mm. But Apple conveniently has left it out. Right. Right. And so, you know, this isn't just, I don't want to, I'm a big fan of personal responsibility and I don't want to strip that from the conversation and just talk about the system because one of my criticisms of progressive Christianity and, and even more specifically, you know, critical theory and liberation theology is that a lot is blamed on the system and there's no talk of personal responsibility. And so mm-hmm. I don't want to err the same way. But there is, there is an aspect that there are a lot of players that would love to see Christianity deteriorated the way we know it. And they're putting a lot of money into that. I just had somebody send me an episode, two episodes of Blues Clues, you know, which I had family members, my younger sister grew up watching that. Sure. Two, two brand new episodes of Blues Clues that are all about, you know, I have three dads and, you know, I have two moms and it's all, and it's literally a trans parade with a cross dresser who's leading the conversation and the song. Mm-hmm. But it is an episode of Blues Clues. This is being presented to children. And so many kids are being parented by the iPad today. Most mm-hmm. mom and dads are not even seeing this go down. Mm-hmm. And so it is starting very, very young, this, this embrace of this language. It's happening in our schools are embracing critical race theory and everything else. So that's the externals, right? Of course, we have a current administration that's really pushing a lot of these things as well. But there's also the the things that are happening within the pulpit. And so, as I mentioned, sort of that that rise of progressive Christianity over the last couple hundred years, specifically the last couple of decades, it's been on the move. And, you know, I think that Brian McLaren's book, I'm blanking on the title right now, New Something Christian, I can't remember the title, but it is, I think that was a turning point. I think it was written in the, I want to say the 80s, where that kind of came out and really started shaping some of these things. We've seen this with a lot of Christian recording artists. You know, guys, as we mentioned, I think before we started recording here of uh, John Cooper from from Skillet, who's who's a buddy of mine. Uh, you know, he's he's really challenged that and taking mm-hmm. that head on to deal with it. So many Christian recording artists are deconverting. And I think that's making an impact. Some of our Hollywood people that are Christians have really embraced a liberal view of Christianity because of the pressure of Hollywood and everything else mm-hmm. that they're getting seen on the Instagram you know, world, etc., and I think that there's a general biblical illiteracy, and you have our Christian institutions have been invaded by progressive Christianity. Seattle Pacific, in just a couple, maybe a month ago, they had, I think it was something like 75% of their faculty came out with a statement against the president and the board of the school, and this is a Christian university, because the school had upheld in a decision to continue to uphold a biblical view of gender and sexuality on the college campus with their Mm. college worldview. 75% of the faculty, I believe it was, wrote in opposition to that and criticized the Christian university president for saying he's going to uphold a biblical view of gender and sexuality at a Christian school. Yeah. Now that's a more liberal Christian school, but we're seeing this at, and I hate speaking out against these places because I know a lot of these guys. I I was just with, you know, some of the, you know, basically some of the the president's council at Biola here recently for an event. 
Uh, they've had me out multiple times to uh, to speak, and I I hate saying these things, but Biola has has gone more left and left and left and left, and that might mean that I don't you know get invited back if they hear me talk about them. But you know what? I have to say it. They they're embracing mm. views that are antithetical to scripture. And most kids signing up to go to these Christian colleges don't know it. The parents don't know it. Right. They find out when they're in the classes, when the, when the liberal professors start institutionalizing and, you know, using this kind of leftist propaganda on these students that grow into what? Our pastors. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, when it goes from the professor to the pastor, eventually into the pulpit, and that creeps into the pews. And so, yeah. you know, we are seeing this from all angles. There is an attack against orthodoxy, I think, more than ever before. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, and when I say the church, I say that as people, but I think that we have an obligation to be an opposing voice, and there's a way of navigating that, and I'm sure that you addressed that in your previous book, because I think fundamentalism, <laughs> there's ways that we've approached certain things that we probably shouldn't have, right? But I think we still need to have that opposing voice, and I think what's hard and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at least what I've experienced is a lot of the progressive Christianity that I'm experiencing is personal. It, there's some sort of personal scenario where scripture clearly goes against what they're feeling, what they're believing, and whether it's parents with children or family members that don't want to, I guess they don't want to compromise their faith yet, they don't want to compromise their relationship with somebody, and they don't know how to navigate that. And so they side on the progressive side. You know what I'm saying? Almost like yeah. an uneducated approach to it, but it's a feel-good approach. You know, there's a, I'm trying to find, see if I can pull it up here right away in my own book. But, you know, there was a statement that I, I made in the chapter on vain imaginations. And the thing that really I see that is so concerning, you know, we talk about things like, like gender, sexuality, the, the challenges that, that I think so many mm-hmm. people are facing in our culture, you know, yeah. today go through this. And I, I, this is the first thing I've done a hundred interviews in the last two months. It's the first time I've ever read a quote from my book on an interview. So I just want to, this isn't a regular <laughs> thing for me, but I, I think it just plays into this so much that I said here, this is on page 126 and in the Christian left, it says, with that said, I'm quite sympathetic to the problem and to families going through such challenges. And while this book is in no way designed to properly address how to restore healthy gender identity, especially among today's young persons, my greater concern in context is the secondary, quote, transition often experienced in the family that Christian parents of transgender children go through themselves, whereby they transition from a biblical view of creation and gender to a more fluid adaptation that allows acceptance of their child, quote, just the way they are. Yeah. And and basically, you know, this is this personal thing you're talking about is that we yeah. are seeing, you know, it, it's easy when you don't know anybody who's gay or trans or who's had right. an abortion or, you know, who's an illegal immigrant, right? That to go from the outside and have very staunch views of those things. But once you realize that the guy that you've been working next to on the factory line every single day is an illegal immigrant and you mm-hmm. like him. And you're like, well, he's not that bad. I don't want him to get kicked out of the country, you know, and I, I don't want to just, you know, stand for rule of law over people. Or you find out that, you know, I mean, I have a, I have a family member, extended family member that is dealing with some, some battles in regards to gender and sexuality. And it, it's a real thing for our family, you know? And so yeah. we're having to navigate this. This isn't just theoretical. This isn't me being a fundamentalist. Like these are people I love. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, 
how do we work through that in a way that we're able to love the person, continue to ascribe dignity to them and value while refusing to, to really, I guess, to resist the urge to downgrade the Bible to something that's less than true. And it's a challenge. It's hard. It's hard. But it has to be the journey that we go on if we are to take a biblical view of Christianity or even a historical view of Christianity. It is the only option that we have. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very well said. In chapter one of your book, you talk a little bit about, you give some examples of common sayings from the Christian left. And I think when we say a couple of these, I think people will go, yep, either I've said that (laughs) or, you know, I've heard this said, right? Um, And I'm just going to go through a few of them here. You know, you, you mentioned the, you know, Jesus accepts everyone. Jesus was a refugee. Jesus accepts foreigners and strangers. And we just actually did a a podcast on immigration. Specifically on those two words, foreigners and strangers. Yeah. 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 We dug into what that was. Yeah. And real Christian accepts everyone. People need to live their truth. I mean, that is a huge one Mm -hmm. right now. Well, I'm just living Mm -hmm. my truth. You know, if that's your truth, that's good for you. So talk, listen, talk a little bit about that because that's, that's a passion issue for me. And I, you know, when I'm looking, looking into the bright eyes of a college student that is extremely intelligent, that I would think is, is, is garnering their information from the left side of their brain. And they tell me things like, Hey, well, that's your truth. You know, I'm going to live my truth. It, it, I, my eye twitches. I have no idea what to even <laughs> think at that point. Like, what, you know, I know you're brilliant. So how are you coming up with the fact that you and I both have totally different truths and it's okay. We can coexist yeah. and we'll all, we'll all be okay. So talk a little bit about this relative, this truth, you know, this is my truth. So I think that what you're describing is one of the reasons why the church is completely unprepared to deal with progressive Christianity. Mm. And I wish that this was not the case. Yeah. But, you know, we're actually more prepared to deal with leftism in politics than we are leftism in theology. Mm. And it's an easier battle, ironically, because there are more concrete ways to address it. And most people don't understand the theology behind the Christian left and ultimately the theology behind the left in general, because even if they're not, quote, Christian, they still have a theology that's shaping their worldview. Yes, Politics right. is almost always shaped by a, a world faith worldview of some sort, even if it's an agnostic or an atheist, that's still something that's shaping you know, their, their view of these things. And so I think that it's so important that we understand this. Uh, I'm a big fan of church history. I, I rarely read books that are newer than, you know, 500 years old, probably. And here I am, you know, telling people to go buy my book, right? But that's brand <laughs> new. But, um, you know, there, there are exceptions, right? But, you know, I, I just, I geek out on church history. And specifically, I read a lot during the first couple centuries after the, the birth of the New Testament. And, you know, there was a guy named Irenaeus, who you guys might be familiar with, who wrote a book called Against Heresies. And so he was a he was an early, very early church father, direct, you know, really lineage from apostolic authority. 
he wrote against heresies in 180 AD, so about 150 years after the crucifixion of Christ. And he offered a critique of the first century church, and he said that the reason why the first century church, really the church of Acts, was not able to effectively refute Gnosticism was because they didn't understand it. Mm. And, and so, and this is what led him to write against heresies, which was about a 600 page book against Gnosticism to try to help the second century church understand Gnosticism so that they could refute it. Now it took about another, you know, hundred years or so for that to be overly effective. And I would argue that as, as good of an effort he made, really what we're seeing today and to some regard is a reboot. It's Gnosticism, you know, 2.0 is really what the Christian left is. It's Gnosticism was all based upon secret knowledge and experience and these things that we are seeing. You're really touted by the left today. But I think the challenge for us is we have to understand the theology to recognize that they're talking about a different Jesus, you know, to recognize that they don't hold the Bible as the word of God. It is literally a pick and choose. And that's not because I mean, it's not, I mean, your, your everyday foot soldier of the Christian left might not have a, a proper, you know, uh, theology established of what they believe or why they believe it. They're just taking talking points from people that they admire. But people that are really true academics on the left or, you know, major influencers, the, uh, you know, even within Christian media, people like, and I talk about them a little bit in the book, Jonathan Merritt, who's written for the Atlantic and Religion News Service, Phil Vischer, the creator of Veggie Tales. Even people like Beth Moore, who I wouldn't call her a total leftist, but she's she's certainly you know seems to have grabbed a hold of at least a variant of progressive Christianity and is is very strong and leading with that today. You know, Jen Hatmaker. I mean, there, the list goes on. We could look at all sorts of other names. These individuals are not ignorant to these ideas. They understand them. They have grabbed a hold of progressive Christianity. In all of its nuances, in you know, completely, it's not just deception at that point. It's a conscious choice. But here's the cool thing about orthodoxy: orthodoxy almost never was shaped before there was a problem. And by that, what I mean is, heresy always started first, and then orthodoxy was an attempt to correct the heresy and properly define the terms. There was a time where people struggled with the idea that Jesus was part of a trinity. They thought, you know, he had to have been created by God because they saw this word begat, you know, that God, that Jesus was this begotten son, right? And the church had to come in and you had people like Athanasius and others that spoke up and said, no, I don't think you had that quite right. And they began shaping orthodoxy in that way. And orthodoxy is not orthodoxy because it was the loudest voice at times. The whole world was against some of these individuals who are standing for truth. Orthodoxy is orthodoxy, and that word just means right teaching. And it's orthodoxy because it was the path that showed fruit, that aligned itself with Scripture, and that ultimately proved itself by her actions. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that when you look at the Christian left today, what is it? It promotes immorality. It, it promotes abortion. It promotes, you know, I mean, I got three or four churches downtown South Bend where I am that are flying, you know, Marxist BLM flags and, you know, gay pride flags. Mm. And, and so, yep. and they're flying these sometimes above the cross and mm-hmm. it's, it's an apostasy. It's, it's heresy. Yeah. 
and okay. and we are seeing people led into this it's it's really it's sad but i think that if you if you trust the lord and you know the gospel i believe that you know we have an opportunity to be light in this world to be a city on a hill doesn't mean everybody's going to accept the truth but but we keep doing what we do and those who have ears to hear are going to hear mm-hmm yeah yeah so true so true and you know i think about it and and i know like you say you're in it every day and carrying this this torch and i'm so grateful for that but yeah i mean it's it's getting and i i I keep saying this because i really want our listeners to understand that guys when we talk about these things we're talking about getting back to scripture that we wouldn't have as many divisions denominations and all the things that we have if we could just come together, and I know it sounds like kumbaya right now, I'm not trying to, <laughs> but if we could just come together and center on the word of God, and you mentioned some, you know, the gin hat makers, and I usually don't name people on the on the podcast, which is totally fine, but, you know, since you've brought some of them up, I mean, I think about Kristen Howerton, you know, and, and as, as one person, you know, and I remember commenting one time on a post that she made, you know, <laughs> And because I was, you know, I was trying not to be mean. I, I, I just wanted to refute what I saw was progressive Christianity, you know. And then someone attacked me and just said, you know, y- you know, yeah, I see what you did there. You have this toxic positivity, you know, like you, you're, you, you know, and it, and it was. <laughs> my grandma used to call it nice nasty in the sense that it's like I'm going to tell you the truth, but I'm going to, you know, and it's going to be a dagger, but I'm going to tell you in the most kind way I possibly can. You know, and I was doing it because I really do want people to understand the truth. And it's like you said, it's not about the right. It's not about the left. It's about the Bible. And as Christians, if that's not our standard, we're we're building our lives, our children's lives, our grandchildren's lives in a generation on the wrong foundation. And it doesn't matter what I feel like, you know, it's. You know, Kyle was saying, you know, about it's a personal thing and it's so true. It's like, if somebody in my family deals with this, it becomes so personal to me that I now put this person up over God. Well, I know God says this, but Jimmy is a really nice guy. And if you met Jimmy, you would think the same way. And they will go as far as to say, if Jesus met Jimmy, (laughs) this is what Jesus would do. And it's right. like, you know, and then they say, well, did you see he fed the 5,000? He didn't act, you know, did you see that he healed the man? He didn't even say anything about anything that was going wrong with the man's life. He just healed him. Yeah. And it's like, yes, but the Bible supposes that you're going li- to you're gonna read all of it. And there's other parts where Jesus said, hey, look, I'm going to heal you, but go and sin no more. Right. You know, you don't think like the woman at the well. Right. Yes. He didn't condemn her. But he made it very clear <laughs> the way she should be walking, right? And yeah. it's it's this as you as as you alluded to, it's this. I know what the Bible says, and we just recorded a podcast on virtue signaling, right? And we talked about you know how it's like you're more virtuous than Jesus. Like is that because that's what you're saying? No, but that's what some people believe. I mean, I, I have a quote in my in, in this book about uh, by an individual that was basically saying that because Jesus and Paul had a first century mindset, that they did not have the same perspective. Essentially, they weren't as woke as we are, or as this individual is. 
and that they were limited. So here we are. We're now saying that we know more, see more, understand more than Jesus himself. And again, it's because they've downgraded his deity and they're really viewing him as something less than the savior of the world. And that, you know, he's fallen. I mean, we saw this with there was the TikTok video or whatever about, you know, did Jesus use a racial slur with the woman, you know, who who said that, you know, you know, even the even the dogs, dogs. you know, eat from the master's table sort of thing. And, you know, what did we hear? We heard, you know, they they, that this woman spoke truth to power. And and basically, again, it's a downgrading of Jesus's divinity rather than trying to understand that passage, the culture, the language. It's a it's a quick shot, you know at this with, you know, hitting a topic, viewing it from a lens today that it's going to get everybody riled up. They didn't really do their homework on the language or the culture very well. And so they end up with this, this kind of butchered, you know, translation of the passage and a really false conclusion, you know, of what they came to. Yeah. So, I mean, it's important we understand that some people do see that. So when we go to people and say, well, don't you know what the Bible says? We have to understand that as Christians, their, their answer in their head is, I don't care. Right. I don't care. And this is why I'm saying the church is not really prepared to deal with this fully. And although, yes, we do use scripture to refute these things. And in your defense of your, your message thread, you were talking earlier, read Paul's epistles. I mean, how many people does Paul call out? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, stay away from Alexander, the metal worker. You know, he did me harm, you know, and God's going to repay him for what he did. Or, you know, saying that anybody who preaches the gospel, you know, differently than the one that he's proclaimed, let them be eternally condemned. He says that multiple times in Galatians. Uh, you know, alone. And so, you know, we see, we see very strong language in the New Testament. We also see it throughout the early church. I mean, so much of early church history is, again, speaking to problems. It, it's, it's Augustine speaking against the, the Manichees or, you know, Athanasius, you know, speaking against, you know, those that rejected the Trinity. I mean, we're, we're seeing this, the church has always, there's always been a balance because this is, you know, the Bible tells us Jesus came in grace and truth that the church has to embody that. We can't just, we can't dissect those from, or separate those things from each other, you know, just to make it grace only. And, and mm. you know, even the version that the left is presenting is not really grace. It's actually based upon, you know, deservedness more than anything. You know, if I have a great need, then therefore God's obligated. This is a very leftist, you know, mindset. I talk about that in the chapter on, on the temptations of the church. But you know, all, all that to just say that we have to almost get better in our, and I don't mean this in an aggressive term, I mean this in the philosophical term, our arguments against the Christian left, because we have to be able to draw on things at times that are outside of Scripture. And that might seem weird for a guy who's trying to draw everybody back to the Bible, but the point of that is, if they have a post-Christian worldview and they don't hold the Bible as truth, in order to get them to even begin to look at the Bible as true again, I have to walk them backwards and I might need to look at philosophy. You know, we see this with, with Paul dealing with people with a pre-Christian worldview in Athens where he's talking about the, the idol to, you know, this unknown God. You know, he yes. didn't quote them a Bible passage. He used philosophy to say, hey, look, let's talk about this thing you got right here. Mm-hmm. You know, is it possible that there is an almighty God that is higher than all these other gods that you have here that that you actually have some notice of, but you're, you're failing to see the whole thing. And he appealed to them outside of scripture to draw them back rather than just, you know, on Facebook going, well, this Bible verse says this, you know, I, I can, I can maybe go there with some people, but I think that in these real conversations outside of social media and real life, 
we have to be more strategic and at times more surgical, which means we might need to study a little bit more and learn a little bit more and to really get there. And so that's why I, I wrote this book, The Christian Left, was to give people this, this roadmap back to really understanding the beliefs of the left so they could refute them and also protect their own heart from falling into them. And so they could, you know, we could find our way, hopefully together, back to Christian orthodoxy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you said, I'm glad you said you walked them backwards because we are putting our teenagers through a sexuality series. And it's one like I've never done before. Probably one that I've never even been a part of before. But basically, we spent the first two weeks now and we've really just tried to get the students to understand why God should be their author. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, cause, cause our basic thing was we could teach you what the Bible says about all this, but if you don't even believe that God is a valid, you know, a valid author of your life, then you're not going to care anything that we have to say. And so it was, it was different for me as a youth pastor to try to give a stance here without just shoving scripture into someone's face that doesn't care about scripture. Yeah. 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 You so know? important. So important. And I would say, you know, for any pastors that are listening or what I would call, you know, sort of, people that view themselves as ministers at any regard, you know, whether they're lay people or not. I think it's very important. I, I don't want to put an emphasis above, above scripture. Obviously, we, mm-hmm. scriptures are our first place that we go to. But I encourage people, and I found a lot of understanding and insight in just looking at the first several heresies to face the church, the Judaizers, the Gnostics, the Manichees, you know, some of these guys and their belief systems and why it is because basically we're seeing we're seeing history repeat itself with all of these. Yeah. And so if you see how the church refuted these things in the beginning, although to some degree they were very new in doing so and and they were trying to figure out the language and everything else, when you understand that and you know for people like oh, I don't I don't history is not my thing or whatever, it's so empowering when you really understand it and it helps you to be able to see today that like there's really nothing new under the sun. Yeah, and no. these things have already been dealt with. I mean, there were there were Christians in Rome that had very similar views to what we're seeing today. You know, that had this licentious, you know, sort of mindset. And many of them, basically, they were they were so spiritual minded in a negative way that they discounted anything with the flesh. They viewed the flesh really as bad to an extent that they would go, well, it doesn't matter what happened to the flesh because all this world is condemned. So I can do whatever I want in my flesh because it's really just about the spirit, you know, connecting to God <laughs> and it's already corrupt in the flesh. And so there was just, I mean, there was just all these different, you know, ditches that people jumped into. And I think that when you start seeing those, you go, oh, we're, we're just kind of reliving this, you know, and, and every couple, I mean, even during the time of the Reformation, there were, there were Christian, there was a red light Christian district in Switzerland, I believe it was, where basically Luther and Calvin, I think it was Calvin had to go there and address it. Because there were Christians that got such a radical idea of grace that they basically, it's like, it doesn't matter what we do. And so let's start a red light district, you know, right. and basically just participate whatever we want to, you know. And so, you know, history repeats itself. And here we are again. The difference, though, is that this is more global, mm-hmm. I think, than it's ever been. And it's more empowered by some really, really strategic people on the left who have put a ton of money, time, and energy into eradicating the church as we know it. Because if the church in America ceases to be as we know it, I believe 
the Republic of America ceases to be as we know it. Mm -hmm. And I believe that God wins in the end, and I believe he redeems his people. That does not mean that the church in America always thrives. And so if Mm -hmm. we're going to really take seriously our faith, we have to protect the faith and protect the church. And we do that first and foremost by protecting and leading people back to orthodoxy. Yeah, so good. So, so good. You know, I was, um, in closing this particular episode, I, uh, my daughter, it, it just, this just came home to us last week, and I haven't had a chance, Kyle, to even talk to you about it. I was going to, and I, I can't go through it all on the show right now, but my, the, her teacher, they were talking about religion. And so they've, they've went through Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and Christianity. This is a public school? Public school. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so she, she, they had to, so all of the other religions, they didn't have to write anything on any of the writings. They got to Christianity and they wanted them to write on it. And so they gave them the, the, the part in the scripture where Paul talks about women in the church. You know, how women should be silent, they shouldn't speak, and the, just a whole thing, right? And so, and I, unbeknownst to us, I had zero idea. She, I knew they were covering Christianity, had no idea what, you know, they were, they were doing, right? So my daughter comes in super excited with her little Chromebook. Dad, I just wrote this really cool piece on Paul, you know? And I, I read it, and I read about three sentences. I, I don't know how to say this other than I probably wasn't, I probably weren't, wasn't the good Christian <laughs> that, that people would, I, I was so angry what I saw and is what they did was they twisted the scriptures and it was a feminist. They, they, they basically said, here's Paul's what Paul a chauvinist. Exactly. Here's yeah. what Paul said about women. Tell me why you disagree with it. Yeah. Mm. And use other scriptures to do so. Yeah. So it it was this, and which I was grateful. And I, I mean, my wife, we told our daughter because you know we talk about scriptures and we do things at home. But I, you know, it, we haven't gotten to the point where we talk about super deep theology yet. You know, and so I just, you know, I mean, she knows the basics, obviously, but we just don't get into all the things yet. And so I, I, I told my wife, I said, this was God. That she came in here so excited and she was like, Dad, you have to read this. And I looked at it and I said, You basically wrote a hit piece on Paul. Like your teacher, you don't understand what your teacher is doing. She's caused you to write a hit piece on Paul. And so I ended up having to call. And it's so funny because the teacher, I emailed her and put my email has pastor in it. And I asked her to send me, or I said, you know, can you give me some dates and times that we can chat about this? She sent an email back, disregarding my whole thing about chatting about it. It was just like, hey, here's why we're doing it. And I think she was just like, oh boy, I got myself. I didn't want to talk to this guy. I sent her an email right back and said, hey, what are some good days and times to meet? Good for you. She, yeah, she called me that evening and, and I wasn't mean spirited about it, but I helped her to understand because what she wrote in the email was, we gave the students the historical context behind everything they read. And I said, I said, you know what? I I said, with all due respect, you didn't. Right. And I said, here's what was happening in the church when Paul, and she goes, you know what? I didn't tell the kids that I did. And I said, is this happening? Like, 
like, you know, in all the schools? And she's like, yeah. She's like, this is just what, and I said, when I said, I don't know, I'm not sure what your history is, but I gave her a couple of books. I said, you really need to read these historical books. I said, it'd be different if the Bible was just faith-based, but it's a history book. Like, right. You can't, right. you can't just, just take history and rewrite it. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just, and so I, I say that all, I mean, it was just a crazy thing in my family last week. And I was just like, I, I was floored. And, but I also told my daughter, I said, you know what? Yes. You know, I haven't served you well. Yes. We talk about, you've been in church all your life. You've been the youth group. We talk about Jesus at home. We read scripture. We do all the things, but guess what? I haven't served you well because I just, I, I, I haven't got deep enough with you. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's things like that, that is creeping in that even as parents, we don't understand and we don't see what's happening, you know, but if I never saw that paper, my daughter, until she learned, and I told her, I said, we just had Margaret Feinberg at our church two weeks ago. And she was talking in front of like a thousand people. Did, did, did you put two and two together? Like, did you think we were just like wrong or, you know, she even <laughs> think about, you know what I'm saying? So it's, and of course, they're not addressing, well, you know, two parts of this and, you know, maybe we can set as a teaser for, uh, for our follow-up episode. I'd love to, I'd love to talk about the women in the church thing, because I think that's something that is, is, um, it's, it's so, it's so used by people to try to discount scripture. And so you either, if you can't properly contextualize that, you either have to come to the conclusion that Paul's a male chauvinist, and there's been books written about that. And of course, you're seeing that there in the school. Or you have to go, well, the Bible's just not really true, and we're believing something different today, right? And so we're going to distance ourselves from that view. So it almost feels like your options are either see Paul as a fundamentalist chauvinist, and that's the view that we should all take if that's the biblical version, or we have to cross out those verses with kind of our our Sharpie markers or whiteout to go, we're not going to follow that part. Mm-hmm. And there, to me, there's a third option, and that is we contextualize the passage fully. And I think that, you know, that's a perfect example because, because so many Christians struggle to do that, they are getting caught in these situations where they feel like they have to make these choices between fundamentalism or progressivism and progressivism seems a lot more loving and friendly. And so they're going that direction. And, and as a result, it's a criticism towards the Bible or it's a downgrading of scripture. And so, I mean, that is a real life thing that I think people are facing all the time. And, uh, and, a, you know, a true fundamentalist might not like my answers to that, but I'll, I'll, I'll tease it. Why don't we, why don't we, I'll, I'll, I'll share that uh, as we go into a next episode with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I know folks, you're enjoying uh, Lucas. Here's how to find him. You guys, you've got to, and if you're a pastor, you know, have him out to your church. I mean, it, this is, this, these are the kind of people that I believe that God is using right now to steer the church back where they, where the church needs to be. And people like this are literally jewels. Like we, we need them. And so when somebody is taking all their time, their effort, their talent, their money to make sure that we are, stay on track as, as a body of Christ, I think they deserve us bringing them into our churches, reading their books and all of that. And so two books we've got here. So he's got Good God, the one we want to believe in, but are afraid to embrace. And then we have the Christian left, and that's what we talked a lot about today, how liberal thought has hijacked the church. Both of them are by Lucas Miles 
And you can visit his website, lucasmiles.org. Again, that's lucasmiles.org. And, and we'll actually have some links and stuff to in our episodes. So you'll have the links there if you are driving or running or whatever. We'll have those there. And Kyle, can you talk to them about the socials? Yeah, you can find us and, and those links and the episodes on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, Thinking Out Loud Podcast. We also have a fans page. If you just add the fans at the end of Thinking Out Loud Podcast, if you go on Instagram, it's thinking underscore out loud podcast. And again, on all of these socials, we promote what show is coming out, resources, even our website where you can find the podcast at as well. And so make sure that you friend us, you follow us on social media, join in on the conversations, ask questions. We love to give feedback. Yeah. Also, Lucas is on all the socials as well. So please go follow him. Buy this book, guys. I mean, buy as many copies, buy some for your friends and also share this episode because, you know, as you're talking around the family barbecues and and weddings and all of this, we talk about these things. Share the episode and just let people know we're on every single streaming platform that there is. So whatever they wherever they listen to music or podcasts, we're there. That's the Thinking Out Loud podcast with Kevin and Kyle. And so, guys, Thank you so much for tuning in, but Lucas will be back next time and we'll talk a little bit more and keep this conversation going. God bless you guys. We love you. Thank you.